right, so our passage is actually not that one, but you can lock that one away. This is the first time ever the mic has been almost too short. It's never happened to me before. Okay. Um, our passage is going to be in Matthew 3. We're going to start there today. It is in your handout if you'd like to follow along. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The, then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. So, have you ever gotten something wrong, like really, really wrong, and it actually, <laughs> Nathan, it actually like changed the way that you viewed something entirely, and so when the thing happened that you thought would be a certain way, it happens, and it's not how you thought, and you're just completely thrown into confusion, ever. You're, you're imagining that time. I know I've told this story here before, but one time when I was younger, I pushed my cousin down a full flight of stairs in a plastic storage container. That's fun. <laughs> And he, um, he 
he was not dumb, okay? Like, it took a lot of convincing to get him in that storage bin. But in my creative childhood mind, we were doing this, like, roller coaster thing, and I thought, well, this is genius. You know, we'll get in the, the storage bin, and then we'll, like, fly down the stairs, and it'll be like a roller coaster. But to convince him that he had to be, like, the first person to do it, um, I came up with this idea that we were having this, like, we were creating a roller coaster company, and I was like the designer, and he was the roller coaster tester, okay? And I told him that you have to do your job, because if you don't do your job, then I have to fire you. <laughs> and at the time, he's about four years old, and when he heard me tell him I would have to fire him, he did not imagine unemployment. <laughs> He just heard fire. And when the bin flew down the stairs and like smacked into the front door and six adults suddenly ran around the corner and they lifted him out of the box. I don't remember if it was my aunt or my uncle, but I remember them lifting him out of the box crying. And he just, he just said, but she was gonna fire me. He just had this whole other expectation of what was going on, right? And, it, and it's not entirely unlike John in this situation. So John, you have, he's out in the wilderness baptizing people, stage logistics. And uh, he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's a super radical statement. It actually continues to be... Uh, the proclamation of the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And in response to this radical statement, he's calling people to repent, right? To turn away from whatever it is that turns you away from God. So if it turns you away from God, turn away from it. A lot of turning. But essentially what he's saying is that we respond to this proclamation with action and with movement, but also with death and rebirth. And out there in the wilderness, John just like casually starts this new tradition of baptizing people, and they go down into the water, and we are reminded of creation, right? The chaos, the chaotic waters, the void, the abyss, where no life can be. And we go down, like as in burial, and then we rise up out of the water into new life. And we call it baptism. And so in the midst of all of this happening out in the wilderness, the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up, right? Religious leaders. And John, John has some words, right? He has some strong statements to make. And he begins to paint this picture of Jesus as like, you know, he's kind of got his arm back holding the axe, you know, like ready to chop. And he's... Uh, He's like drawing hard lines and burning up chaff and baptizing with fire, you know? And you know how everyone kind of has their own version of Jesus, right? American Jesus, you know, right? John's version of Jesus was kind of like uh, Chuck Norris Jesus, right? Like, I baptize with fire, but Jesus, or with water, water, but Jesus baptizes with fire. But what catches our attention in all of this really is this, uh, this talk of getting cut off if we don't produce good fruit. And then the wheat and the chaff getting separated and the chaff getting fired. 
you guys just um, practiced some wandering over fire. And some of you started to do like the, the southern passive aggressive thing where you just say, I wonder before anything that you want to say, kind of like bless her heart, you know, <laughs> and began trying to actually answer your wondering questions. Shame on you. Um, it is hard to wonder. But we see fire throughout scripture used in all kinds of different ways, and it should kind of catch our attention because it shows up at, at important moments. And oftentimes it actually shows up in wilderness. We see it twice in this passage, right? In verse 10, um, it talks about the chaff is going to be thrown into an unquenchable fire. How's that for a pronoun? And then in the very next verse, verse 11, Jesus will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you're like, is that the unquenchable fire? Are we talking about a different kind of fire here? Like there's lots of wondering that we immediately find ourselves in there. And when we talk about fire in scripture is often a sign of God's presence. Fire illuminates, it brings things into light, fire purifies, fire refines, it guides and consumes and destroys. Sacrificial offerings are burned. When the Holy Spirit fills those that are gathered at Pentecost, uh, it's described as the uh, tongue of fire in each person's head. God led the Israelites by a pillar of fire. God spoke through Moses by the burning bush, or the not burning bush. And when we talk about fire today, in our context, we may think of uh, forest fires or destruction. We may think of going through an intense time in life, like walking through the fire. We may think about burnout. We may imagine warmth. Or we may imagine injury or danger. And I wonder, I wonder why Jesus baptizes with fire. I wonder if fire is necessary. I wonder what fire does in us. I wonder where we experience fire. I wonder if fire still guides us out of the wilderness. And I wonder if fire guides us into the wilderness. And I wonder if John's idea about Jesus was just all wrong. I know I'm a dripping, dripping faucet about this. I say this a lot, but it's so important to know the full story of God. And it's so important to remember that as we read the story of God through Scripture, it's told by a people that are growing in their understanding and knowledge of who God is. And that's so, so important. Because here's how the story continues. We jump ahead into Matthew 11. And here's what it says. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, this is his question for Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? So John's sitting in prison, right? And he's hearing about the ministry of Jesus, and he's just confused. He literally baptized Jesus. He was there when the heavens opened and God spoke and said, This is my son. 
But because Jesus and his ministry is looking so different than what he imagined, he's now questioning, is this the Messiah or is there somebody else? And Jesus answered him. Go and tell, well, answered his disciples. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. The kingdom of heaven is made known in the fruits of righteousness of being in right relationship. It does not arrive in violence. The kingdom of heaven is made known in the fruit of right relationship. So John, the one who came to prepare the way for Jesus, like this was his one job, right? He's the one that will get our ears ready to hear. He has the wrong idea about what Jesus is about. And John's misunderstanding of Jesus is actually apparent from the moment that they meet, where Jesus comes to be baptized and John says, no, 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 it's supposed to be the other way around. And that's fair. I think we all would probably say that. But this is, this is really great. Robert Williamson Jr. says this. It's really good. He says, Jesus' authority doesn't come from exercising power over another. Jesus' authority doesn't recognize hierarchies that make one person more worthy than another. Jesus' authority rejects the claim that John is unworthy of carrying his shoes or even of baptizing him. Jesus is about the work of righteousness of being in right relationship, which means that the poor are lifted up and that the least are the greatest. And that is the good fruit that the vine produces through us. And that is beautiful. But if you are like me, I'm, I'm still kind of questioning what the whole thing was about the chopping off of the unproductive branch, because I kind of relate with that imagery just a little bit. I read an article this week. It totally rocked my world and blew my mind and kind of like like someone took a baseball bat to the back of my knees kind of feeling. It was about burnout. It's on my Facebook page if you would like to read it. Um, and I wish I had something like to share with you about it, something that was profound or some insight or um, maybe a quote so you don't have to read the whole thing. Uh, but I don't. <laughs> In complete honesty, I don't because I'm still processing the way that this has uh, really impacted me. We just live in a culture where our value is determined by what we can produce. And that's why Sabbath is so, so important, right? It's the day that we stop producing and we recognize that our life is not sustained ultimately by what we can produce and the work of our hands. So what is it about this passage in producing good fruit? We read earlier in the service a text from John where Jesus is saying that he is the true vine, the source from uh, which the branches bear that fruit, right? It's probably familiar. And he says in it literally, apart from me, you can do nothing. The branches cease to bear fruit, not because someone has come and chopped them off Chuck Norris style, 
but this the branches cease to bear fruit because they have removed themselves from the vine. If you are burned out, then just hearing the word produce feels heavy. And if you are burned out, then that must mean that you have been through the fire. It must mean that you find yourself in some sort of wilderness. You're short on resources. You're fleeing the thing that takes life in search of the thing that will give life. And how could you possibly light a burned match? Before we end, I want to add one last thing um, that's really, really profound in this scripture. The first place that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah is in the wilderness. And you have to think about that for a minute. The first place that Jesus goes to be revealed as the Messiah is in the wilderness. The wilderness is both a literal and also a metaphorical place in scripture. If you find yourself in the wilderness, you are fleeing from something, like a refugee. And it is so bad that you are seeking refugee in a place that in a literal sense is dry and barren. It is dangerous. There is little resources that are essential, like food and water. For humans, wilderness is a passageway. It's not a destination. If you, if you find yourself in wilderness, it's, it's much like the experience of leaving the garden. From the garden, we exiled into wilderness, into a place where we have to work to create order. And do we ever? <laughs> I wonder what a baptism with fire would look like in your life. I wonder what it would burn up and what it would purify. I wonder what it would bring light to I wonder what fire can do with burnout. I wonder what we need to turn from. I wonder what vine we are plugged into. I wonder if fire still leads us out of the wilderness. I wonder why fire sometimes leads us into the wilderness. I wonder if we need wilderness. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's pray. O God of vipers and doves, move us from regulations, open us to faithfulness. O God of wheat and chaff, winnow us from desolation, grow us to fruitfulness. O God of earthly water and holy fire, 
Rinse us from ways of self. Ignite us to divine love. Amen. At your tables are candles that are burning. And in godly play, which I believe the candle is still up here as well, um, at the end of their time together, the light is changed. And presently, the light burns in this votive that sits before you where you can see it and you can enjoy it where um, the effects of the light are experienced by you as you sit there. And when we change the light, we make it possible for the light to move from this one place out among us and out into the world. And so, as the children come in, in, uh, in thoughtfulness of safety for them, I want to ask you to change the light, <laughs> meaning blow it out, um, but not without mindfulness that the light then goes with us. Um, also, I want to say that um, there's different ways in which we respond to wonder, um, in which we respond to God's word and God's working. and. Uh, I grew up in a church where we did this thing of like altar calls, which is kind of the thing like baptism, right? It, it just kind of started and we started doing it. And, um, and there's good things that happen in those moments. Um, without a moment like that, sometimes it's hard to know how to respond when there's something that you want to respond to. Um, and we have a room here filled with priests, the priesthood of all believers. You also have several people that God has brought to provide some leadership among all of us. And I want to encourage you that we are available um, as a form of response during the meal today and during the week. And so if at any point on anything, that you ever would like to process through, talk through, be prayed with. Um, we don't often talk about what that looks like and what a response looks like. Um, so I wanna put words to that. And you can have some moments of contemplation now as we wait for the children to come back in. <laughs> 